at some point we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds.
Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday from 7.30 till, I don't know, 8.30, 8.45, something like that. And then we go into Local Love. Uh, we got Ruffies coming on Local Love. I believe more than one of the members of the bands this week. How you doing, Councilman? I'm doing great. I'm doing even better now that I know the Ruffies are on Local Love. Shoot, I might have to tune into that shit. I think I might be getting your laptop <clears throat> microphone. Oh, fantastic. Well, let me fix that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like 90% sure I'm getting your laptop microphone. <clears throat> or I'm not getting your laptop microphone and it's Pulse Audio. Say something in your mic again. Um, uh-oh. Say something in your mic again. Uh, now I've completely... Something, something, something. Fucking A, there we go. There we go. Fantastic. Fucking incredible technology yeah here. i was just trying to get too cute i'm trying to not have to use my cans but um apparently that's that's not going to work tonight so yeah that's... unless i re unless i reboot and we don't want to do that in the middle of the show that'd be awful we awful can we can figure out um we can do some testing on that if you want though sometime maybe this week or something no worries but anyway good to see you as always um you can find me any anytime you want on twitter at the underscore councilman um, really hope that you'll you'll follow me there because uh, that's where things get really spicy. If you follow my like real account, I don't really tweet there very often because I'm I've got so many so many masters out there now that I uh, have to obey and make sure I don't offend. Um, so I'm not really allowed to publicly pontificate about things these days. So I've got to keep it all in the in the privates in the the pseudo accounts, the avatars, the the anonymous accounts. So follow me at the councilman um, if you really want to hear what I have to say about what's going on in the show well i guess that's then it's a good thing that the video version of this show isn't insanely popular right that's true i mean if, if someone really wants to come at me then they can but um as long as we're somewhat anonymous here there's you know i have, I have good plausible deniability and there are a couple of, i know a few of you out there i know who watch and you tell me you do and you're very good about not spreading the word to the local blogs and the local news so thank you for that um but feel free tell some friends who you can trust and you know, we're all we're all friends here. We're all we're all saying the things. What happens here in the show is that we say the things that we can't say out loud in these in other political environments. Um, so I'm happy to do it. It's a great release. And if anyone wants to come at me for what I say here, they can absolutely do that. I stand by anything we say here. I stand by everything that I say, and I guess by virtue of me running the shit here, I have to stand by everything you say as well. I suppose so. I mean, you don't have to endorse, you know, the things that the uh, that I do necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, and 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 for all the racist shit I say, I mean, I you know, I I own that too. Um, I'm just I'm just as much of a white male splainer as anyone else. So I'm uh, happy to own all of my racist, white supremacist, chauvinistic, patriarchal patriarchal tendencies. Um, but I do try to correct myself in the moment if I'm if I catch myself. Sometimes Bruce Dave catches me. Sometimes the good wife catches me. Sometimes the Twitch catches me. Um, so please feel free to call me out on anything. And I'm happy to have a conversation. I yeah, my favorite, my favorite thing is like when the chat's like, Dave, Dave, no, no, you're wrong. Dave, Dave, like then you start seeing <laughs> Dave, 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 Dave come up in the chat. They're like, don't do this. Don't go down this road. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, I, I you kind of get the point after a little while, right? <laughs> kind of slow down, slow the roll. Um, but yeah, please feel free. I am debate. Anytime you want to talk about um, having an, an elevated conversation about anything, I'm happy to do that. I don't do ad hominem attacks. I don't do, you know, uh, baseless, you know, assumptions and assertions. I do like to stick to the facts. So let's talk. So the, the, that's one of the reasons we don't invite you on the Wednesday show is because you don't do ad hominem attacks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it would just be too dangerous. Um, 
to my sensibilities, but I do listen. It's fan. It's a and watch. It's a fabulous time. Oh, uh, intellectual should... Dollar Tree is by far our most popular show for like a pretty good reason. If you don't already, you should already tune in. I'm guessing our, the the audience for the show is a sub, maybe a subset of that show for sure. Um, but if yeah, if you don't already tune into Intellectual Dollar Tree, please do Wednesday nights. What time? Uh, seven. Seven o'clock Pacific every week. So check check it out with uh, HK and the producer Dave. Oh, what we're gonna do? Uh, I'm gonna announce this pretty soon. We're gonna fucking shift everything a day, per, like in the coming weeks. So mm. you'll be on Wednesday. Media Wench will be with me on Friday. Then Media Wench will do the Sunday show by herself, like like I do most of the time, and I'll switch and do Meltdown Monday. The only thing we can't really change up is uh, local love. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. We put stick, we'll stick HK here on Down Ballot, even though he lives in fucking San Diego. It'll be great. Oh, it'll be fabulous. Um, and that actually works a little better for me with my new new gig that I can't tell you about. But um, I'm actually tied up. I'm sort of on two screens right now. I've got City Council up on one, and I've got down ballot here so in case anything crazy cracks off at city council they're talking redistricting tonight so um i'll, I'll be sure to let you know maybe we can <laughs> we can jump over for the live feed um, i was just I mean, just just one week i just thought it would be fun to do that but yeah okay cool well let's let's get to it what do we have on uh leading off holy shit well just proving that all all derp is local um we have a story actually from north carolina but it was uh, we found it here on the blogs here on berkeley side thank you berkeley side um there's an activist uh who uh is very concerned about animal rights and cruelty and took it upon himself and his group to kidnap a goat from a farm in north carolina so we've got the video from the farmers who are sort of documenting the thievery um, we do have a video of the thievery, but it's a 47-minute Facebook live feed, and I don't think anyone wants to watch that. Um, but this is a, a very interesting uh, uh, take on the thievery from the victims. Hey, folks, here we are on uh, Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. So Spiro Goat Ranch, we are in stall number one, where this last Saturday... Um, vegan terrorists <laughs> broke into our farm, jumped two gates um the vegan terrorists dogs and uh jumped over those Arming gates the there, just took these dogs with uh probably some steak or something down into the valley to get them away from protecting their herd uh, came in through this gate here and uh so that's three gates all locked and they came into nip nap stall nip nap's a great mom she's uh this is her third year being a mom she had two babies in here um they were actually in uh one of our blue barrels which looks like this uh this mom just had babies with a couple of uh, with a blue barrel and so they were in the barrel it has a light it was keeping them warm all of that bottom line is is they took one of these babies they oh. took this little little guy's brother and um Essentially, uh, this was really the runt of the two. So this baby is, uh, see, seven, eight, nine days old. They took this baby from its mother before it was even a week old on a Saturday night, last Saturday night, and they got on YouTube saying how horrible everything is here and it's dreadful and this baby had a scratch on its eye and it was this and it was living in filth. I mean, you can look at this stall here. It's got fresh bedding every day. The mom's got hay. The mom just got fed her twice daily ration of grain, of pellets. <laughs> so she's, you know, doing well. And high the on the hog. bottom line is this baby, there's nothing wrong with these goats. These people who are out there on the internet, these terrorists, uh, they're vegan terrorists. <laughs> 
and all they want to do is come <laughs> on people's property and take their stuff and and they want a good excuse to do that so they make up all these stories about how the baby was sick and the baby is that and this and the other thing and they took that baby from this mama in the middle of the night it was pouring rain and they named it rain and we so, get the point. <laughs> yeah, you get the point. So <clears throat> they're probably not terrorists, but they don't know much about uh, baby goats because you take that baby goat from its mom and you're pretty much giving it a death sentence if it's just uh, it's fairly young like that. Yeah, I mean, they, they obviously have no respect for life. Uh, <laughs> these vegan terrorists, they're just out to, to make their point about plant-based uh, food sources and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, if, if, if the vegan terrorists come to your town and steal your goat, make sure you report that shit. Um, because we need to have an accurate record of all the vegan terrorist goat thievery going on out there. Um, and if you are a vegan terrorist, you know, try not to steal the baby goats. That's just rude. Like, go for, you know, take a, take the male adult, the one that doesn't have to rear the kids, the one that's just there to provide, like, sperm and run around looking goat-like. Probably harder to steal one of those. They might buck. They yeah, they might, might they not. Might try to buck you. They might not take kindly. No, no. Uh, so maybe, maybe just general rule of thumb: don't steal fucking goats. I mean, that's right. just not. I mean, I, I mean, like activism is one thing. Activism is one thing, but there's no need to to rob from other people or to endanger a baby goat by taking it away from its mom. Um, you can make your point in other ways, folks. Also, these people are stupid because they did it on Facebook Live, so they're clearly going to get caught. Correct, and it's still up there. Like it's, I, I was amazed. Like the Brooklyn Side Story linked to the video, and I figured for sure I'm going to click through to this, and there's going to be nothing there. But no, it's still there. Um, so, if, so it's in the docket, it's in the show notes, folks, if you ever want to watch the 47-minute live video of the, of the goat thievery. Um, it's mostly the dude, like, preparing to thieve the goat um, and talking to the camera about how he's going to thieve the goat and not actually, like, goat thievery, because obviously it's dark. But they have night vision goggles. On their phone. Night vision, night vision cameras, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, um, but yeah, if you, if you have 47 minutes to blow, go ahead and watch that. Yeah, don't steal a goat. Don't. Not not good. Goats are... Goats are you know, they, they serve a lot of purposes, not just um, milk and, and meat. Um, they also help to graze and to you know, keep keep a foliage down for fire season, that kind of thing. So goats have many purposes. So we're going to move on to winners and losers. It looks like uh, we got a little COVID watch for the Bay Area here. Looks like the first case of the Omicron variant has been found in the Bay Area. In Santa Clara County, no less. So watch out. Right now at 11, Santa Clara County reporting its first case of the Omicron variant. What health leaders are now revealing about the infected patient as the variant continues to spread. Good morning and thanks for joining us for our midday newscast. I'm Marcus Washington. Well, the Bay Area's largest county now confirming its first case of the Omicron variant. We have the latest on how that person is doing and what it could mean for your holiday plans. NBC Bay Area's Chris Sanchez joining us now. So Chris, what do we need to know now? All right, so Santa Clara County public health officials are going to start talking about this case right now. We are monitoring that in the newsroom, but they say it really was just a matter of time before that fast spreading Omicron variant was detected here in the Bay Area and here in Santa Clara County in particular. Uh, they're doing the introductions right now and we will be listening in for when they start with the you know real meeting potatoes of information that we want to know we're expecting dr sarah cody any moment and here she is as she takes off her mask let's listen in crisp december morning um so i want to share with you updates regarding omicron here in santa clara county have uh, uh two related updates and then i'm going to turn it over uh, to dr finster um to talk a little bit more about vaccination Marty. and boost it's a hell of a name 
So, Dr. Marty uh, Fenstershad. We received our first report of a resident of Santa Clara County with the Omicron variant. Um, this person was fully vaccinated, but not yet boosted. They uh, first had some symptoms on November 30th, got tested on December 1st, and we received the sequencing results yesterday uh, that confirmed that they have the Omicron variant. They had very mild symptoms, which resolved quickly, uh, and they have been isolating at home. Uh, this was uh, the, the person with the Omicron variant had traveled to Florida, most likely where they were exposed. Aha. So community exposure. Way to throw Florida, shade. Um, rather than an international exposure. Uh, and then, of course, came back here. So an, an imported case, uh, but a, do, a domestic imported case. So ever since we first learned about Omicron, we have been anticipating a detection here uh, because our population is large and our population is diverse and our population is mobile. And we have two different ways that we've been looking for uh, to detect Omicron. One, of course, is through isolates from people, as in this case that I just described. And the other is a surveillance system that we have in our sewer sheds. So four different sewer sheds in the county we have samples collected every day uh, and tested and so that's omicron poop detect the sars-cov-2 virus as well COVID as poop. the variants that are emerging we can pause this now i think this might go so, on for a little while uh, but um so that's dr sarah cody everyone is familiar with her uh first in the country to shut down a county over covid and i think that's benefited us greatly um given that we haven't really had any major outbreaks here so uh the omicron is here if you are already vaccinated, get your booster. I've already signed up for my appointment, so I'll be getting my boost. Have you had your booster yet, Bruce Dave? Nope, but I need to go get it. Definitely need to do that. Um, it's not a guarantee, right? It's just layers. It's just like the mask. It's like the vaccine. It's like social distancing. It's all just layers of protection. So keep keep doing what you're doing. We're doing very well here. We're not Florida. We're not uh, you know a third world country <laughs> yet. Um, so we're doing okay. Uh, 95% vaccination rate in San Jose, at least for first, first doses. So great job. Keep it up and be on the lookout, um, and try, try to have a safe holiday. That's all I can say. So our next story, apparently the catalytic converter, uh, stealing crime ring has been, uh, busted or a part of it has been busted by, uh, the San Jose, the boys in blue here in San Jose. Yes. Uh, kudos, kudos to the, the coppers for, for, tracking down some of these malfeasance but let's see what what they found a large bust in the south bay could have ripple effects all across the bay area san jose police broke up a huge organized crime ring and recovered more than 1,000 catalytic converters jesus KPIX5's kit doe has more on Damn. the takedown I'm here at Libra Automotive Parts. This is just off of Monterey Highway near downtown San Jose. This is where San Jose police say a lot of the thieves would come to resell their stolen goods. This was a six-month operation. The strategy here was focused on taking out the entire criminal organization, and that involves rounding up not just the thieves, but the buyers too. To give you an idea of just how quickly it happens, San Jose police set up this demo showing how a battery-powered saw rips through the pipes underneath the vehicle. The whole thing takes about a minute. They make a few hundred bucks, and you are left with a repair that costs thousands of dollars and a car that you can't drive. Today, San Jose police... Oh, that's hard to get on. ...one of the 
largest criminal networks that traffics in these stolen goods. Fifteen people arrested, said to be some of the most prolific thieves, and also the folks who ran the illegal underground black market. Investigators shut down the fencing operations at three locations, Libra Automotive Parts, Tongue Tie Recycling on Rogers Avenue, and Green Metals Recycling in downtown San Jose. This is not the conclusion. If you're out participating in this activity, we're going to be looking for you. If you're a business buying these uh, illicitly, we are going to target you and we are going to shut you down, just like we did to these other three. Out of the 15 people arrested, one person stands out, Robert Frank. At his home in Campbell, officers confiscated assault weapons with 1,200 rounds of armor-piercing bullets, $50,000 in cash, and a huge stash of stolen catalytic converters. About 1,500 catalytic converters laid out in different boxes. I mean, it was like a a black market Costco. Santa Clara County District Attorney Jeff Rosen said today's bust should decrease the thefts across the Bay Area since many thieves also brought their items down to the South Bay to resell. There were a lot of uh, undercover uh, individuals involved in this case. You will be caught. You don't know who you're dealing with, who you're selling the goods to. It may very well be a police officer. And we're going to arrest you prosecute you and send you to jail. About that last part, 14 yeah. of the 15 suspects are already out of jail on supervised release while their case winds through the court system. It's all part of bail reform. Yes, I was disappointed about that because <laughs> I'm concerned that these individuals may get the message that they can do this kind of crime get caught and then quickly be released from custody. In San Jose, Kitto, KPIX5. And it all comes full circle about bail reform, right? Can't, they came as an opportunity. The mayor, the DA. Any chance they get? Oh, they were released. Well, yeah, I mean, are we going to spend the money to hold them in jail over a catalytic converter? Right. These were nonviolent crimes. <clears throat> yeah, these were nonviolent crimes. Um, I know of one of those places, the uh, the recycler they mentioned. I'm a... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I'm a... Uh, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that place uh, through uh, my day job, basically. Were you aware that they recycle catalytic converters and no. you know, stolen ones at that? No. no. Would you have Would you have gone to uh, law enforcement if you did know? There would have been There would have been no way for that. I would have found out. I don't think just based on the 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 way that we we've dealt with them. It's sure. they we. It's not like we go. It's not like we go there and like look through everything they have or whatever. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, um, kudos, I mean, uh, just goes to show you how one thing leads to another. Um, one, we had lovely reference to, to bail reform, but two, did you hear the stash that they found in this guy's place? Was yeah. Campbell? Yeah. I, every time they mention, I'm like, I don't recognize him. He's probably not a, probably not a, not a, a, a pop. He's probably not a regular on the Avenue. Yeah, I would say so. He doesn't, he doesn't hit the brown chicken, brown cow on a very regular basis. He might like the garlic fries if he tried though. They're really good. Um, yeah, they're really, really good. Garlic fries. I really want some of those right now. Anyway, long story short, isn't this the second time recently in Campbell that someone's been caught with a whole bunch of guns and shit? Uh, yeah, but the, I think the last time we covered the the dude actually lived in Los Gatos, got busted in Campbell when somebody right. when somebody who owns like a like a car, like either a, it was I think it was a, a car a car mechanic shop or whatever. The, right. The dude, uh, like I don't know, was trying to steal shit or was like trespassing. Got caught on the camera, basically. This guy's a uh, uh, like uh, auto repair shop. Right, right. I do remember that. But yeah, it seems like it's a rampant in West Valley these days. The Campbell Los Gatos corridor is, is full of uh, illegal firearms and uh, you know criminal enterprise. So watch out, Producer Dave, coming to your your hood. 
Well, I think that's there's a lot of there's a lot of money in on, in the West Valley, and so I think people just have a sense of entitlement, and just the way the <clears throat> the police are here and in Los Gatos, they're like not like going around hassling people. So well, especially not moms that are having sex parties with football players. That's that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> well, uh, you know, maybe they should get their shit together. But uh, watch out for your catalytic converters. If you got a if you have a Prius, park it in the driveway. So we're going to go uh, on to a story about the cops in San Francisco. Apparently everything's fine in Union Square now that there's more cops in Union Square, which I'm sure yeah. will be, uh, I'm sure the cops in Union Square will just, you know, do the right thing all the time and not like harass the citizen sure. in any sort of meaningful well, way. San Jose is protecting your catalytic converter and San Francisco PD are protecting Louis Vuitton. More police, less crime. San Francisco say it's working. Police say they're seeing a significant drop in thefts after increasing patrols in the Union area, Union Square area, following the recent flash mob robberies. NBC Barry's Christy Taylor and shoppers about what they're seeing. Coordinated dance routines. The holidays are here in Union Square, with shoppers carrying bags, stopping at the Christmas tree, and seeing San Francisco police. Officers are visible and on patrol. I'd say it makes us more protected. This family came from San Jose. The flash mob thefts in the area last month did cross their minds. A little, but we also knew just to be safe, and we knew, like, especially, like, what to watch out for. San Francisco police increased their presence here after the robberies and now say they've seen a significant drop in theft, burglaries, and assaults here. The police chief says the deployment will stay through New Year's, and then there will be an increased presence from what it used to be. I can't guarantee that it'll be at this level, but we're going to keep this as long as we can. We're definitely going to keep it through the Christmas season. Then we'll reassess because we do have a, an entire city to police. It's just definitely a step in the right direction. Mark Capalbo is with Gumps and thinks the police presence is having a positive effect and says there is a commitment. It took far too long for the city to recognize the issue. And I think that the good thing uh, about where we are today is that they recognize that there needs to be a long-term commitment in order to change the actions that are happening that are adversely affecting uh, not only Union Square, but the neighborhoods. We didn't really didn't see that many until today. We've been in town for what, about two, three days. This is the first day we've seen them. Some tourists didn't expect to see such a presence here. I wouldn't say I feel safer or not, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not from here. But they also understand it. It's not bad. I mean, you know, make people feel safe. Otherwise, people would not be shopping. In San Francisco, Christy Smith, NBC Barrier News. You know that lady had to be black, right? I mean, I don't know if I necessarily feel safer with a bunch of cops around. <laughs> but I see them. They're here. It's like, yep, I feel you. I feel you on that one. So I'm of two minds here. One, um, it Fine. appears it appears to me that some of the people, uh, the, some, maybe even some of the leadership of these organizations that were doing this have gotten caught. Um, I also think that if you're planning something like this, which you shouldn't do, um, you're only planning to do it a couple times. You're not planning to like make it your fucking, you know, to make like a habit of it. Cause as soon as you start to make it a habit of something like this, as soon as your methods and the way you communicate gets exposed, one of these times you're going to go do it and fucking, there's going to be a whole fucking SWAT team there waiting for you. So, oh, yeah, I mean, anyone who's, you know, watched a cop show or two, you know, knows the basics. I mean, patterns are what get you caught, right? Like re repetition gets you caught. Predictability gets you caught going back to your, you know, your girlfriend's house, right, over and over again, even though you should be just laying low, um, using your credit card, things like that. So, yeah, I, I would imagine either somebody got busted, 
and the ring got disrupted or they did the smart thing and they backed off. Right. Right. Um, once, once the media caught onto it and it became a big media story, like there was, there would be no, like no rational person would continue to do it. Sure. <clears throat> like like if crim- anything, they would pivot to something else. Like criminals are breaking the law, but it doesn't mean they're irrational or stupid. Correct. That's one thing I, I do. Um, that rubs me the wrong way. A lot of times it, uh, when it comes to criminality and sometimes even you know, terrorist criminality, it's not like these folks aren't idiots, right? They, they may be assholes. They may be, they may even have evil intentions, but they're not idiots. And most of them aren't cowards either. Like they're, they, they've got cojones and they've got some ideas. And I would say that if anything, they'll just pivot, right? You, you, you raise havoc here. It distracts from other things, right? There's so many other crimes of opportunity you can engage in in San Francisco and elsewhere, prop, you know, the car, car burglars, which are up apparently, you know, other, other property crimes. So this is one big distraction. Like the chief said, getting all these officers patrolling Union Square. Well, what's happening in the rest of the city, right? What's happening in San Jose when uh, there's more cops at Valley Fair and Santana Road than there are on, you know, at, at uh, King and Story, right? Um, what, you know, what's going down? So, uh, and, are, and does, is everyone getting the same level of, of you know, protection and safety? I don't think so. I don't think the Tropicana market's getting the same kind of protection that Valley Fair is getting. Um, so it's, it's frustrating on a lot of levels. So just a, a quick correction from a couple of weeks ago, someone in chat had said that a uh, Lululemon was an MLM and I actually listened to this show about MLMs and there's uh, it's a clothing MLM that has a very similar name and I forget it off the top of my head. And I think that's probably what people were referring to. Cause I went and looked and Lululemon, there doesn't seem to be any MLM uh, uh, action there. It seems like there's a nut, and maybe through coincidence or maybe because Lululemon is like a popular brand, this uh, multi-level marketing or pyramid scheme type thing uh, picked a name that sounded similar to Lululemon. So I just wanted to like bring that up because, and <clears throat> the, the podcast I listened to that are, you should check it out. It's called, is this a cult? But they cover a lot of MLM stuff. A lot of it. Yeah. Lululemon is just a corporation that, that sells overpriced goods and that's why so they're Lululemon in Santana. Not a cult. So they're not a cult. No. Yeah. And they're not, they're not an MLM. So but, an actual retail establishment, but the person in chat who thought they were probably heard the story about this other, other thing. And I forget the name of it, but sure. it sounds like it sounds a lot LuLaRoe. That's right. Yeah. 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 See like somebody in you, you could, if you had just heard it in passing, you know, it's, it's a mistake somebody would make. So I'm not shitting on the people in chat. <laughs> no, not at all. We just, we just like to set the record straight and make sure we're all on the same page. Right. So we can all be speaking from the same tongue and using the same dialect. So awesome. Well, thank you for the, for the correction. Well, Meanwhile, uh, as I just mentioned, you know, what, what are other neighborhoods seeing? So uh, we're protecting the, the retail outlets in, in uh, Union Square and protecting all the shoppers. But what's happening in like, you know, the Tenderloin right next door? Well, Mayor Reed, Mayor Breed's got some ideas about how to police that area. This is pretty better. long, too. We're probably we'll only watch a couple minutes of it. Yeah, it's a little raw. It's raw video. So. Good morning, everyone. I'm San Francisco Mayor London Breed, and I want to. Thank you all for joining us here today uh, to talk about public safety on a whole nother level in light of the challenges that our city continues to face. You know, this has been a problem that has persisted in this city for some time now. And the fact is, things have gotten worse over time. And I want to take a moment to appreciate our you need your audio safety skills. 
officials that are joining us here today, some of whom you will hear from in a short moment. Um, but thank you to our police chief, Bill Scott, for being here, our fire chief, Janine Nicholson, our sheriff, Paul Miyamoto, our director of the Department of Public Health, Dr. Grant Colfax, Director of Emergency Management, Mary Ellen Carroll, and the Director of Homelessness and Supportive Services, Shereen McSpadden, as well as members of the Board of Supervisors who are joining you like the wedding happening in the background? Supervisor Catherine Stephanie <laughs> and Supervisor Asha Stephanie. It's like my wedding was on the news, kinda. All right. Um, I'm got the bridesmaids waiting on the stairs. Discuss, as I said, public safety in this city. In recent months, we've not only seen a number of high-profile incidents of brazen robberies and car break-ins, but also street behavior and criminal activity, especially in the Tenderloin, that has become far too normal and cannot continue to be tolerated. I just got to stop this right here. Has she ever heard of yeah, the Tenderloin before? Oh, I, I certainly have. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm, I mean, has she heard of the Tenderloin before? Like, everybody knows what's up in the Tenderloin. She may have been there once. Um, Matt Haney, who's the, the the supervisor from the area, certainly knows where, where it's at. I don't know if he necessarily agrees with, um, you know, what Mayor Breed's proposing here. But, um, yeah, it's not, it's not the most, you know, traditionally desirable area. But it's, um, there's reason for that, right? It uh, hasn't been given a whole lot of love over the years. So definitely, definitely not a, um, not a place that everyone would, you know, raise their hand to want to live in at the same time. Um, it's an area, like I said, that needs love and needs attention and doesn't necessarily need extra police presence or, you know, um, you know, public safety, public, uh, law enforcement presence. It needs what she's talking about, which is supportive services. So hopefully all those directors are there with her to talk about how they're going to offer people support and not necessarily criminalize them. We'll rock like another minute and a half or two minutes of this, and then we'll move on. I want to see what's going on with this like wedding photo in the background like this. It's, <laughs> it's a big train that girl's got. All of our residents, our workers, and everyone who visits our city should feel safe no matter what part of town they're in. And I know that San Francisco is a compassionate city. We are a city that prides ourselves on second chances and rehabilitation. But we're not a city where anything goes. Our compassion should not be mistaken for weakness or indifference. Today, uh. we're announcing a series of public safety initiatives to create a city that is safe and turns the tide on what we have recently seen in San Francisco. And to be clear, what I'm proposing today and what I will be proposing in the future will make a lot of people uncomfortable. And I don't care. At the end of the day, the safety of the people of San Francisco is the most important thing to me. And we are past the point where what we see is even remotely acceptable. The first of these initiatives is the Tenderloin Emergency Plan which is already underway. During COVID, we showed what this city can do when we unify our efforts and we work together collaboratively. Through our emergency action, we protected the health of the city and San Francisco was a national model for addressing COVID. 
We saved lives. And let me say this. The Tenderloin needs an emergency response. Period. I spent a lot of time going to the Tenderloin and seeing what's happening there during the pandemic when oh, there were tents everywhere, we intervened, we made a significant difference. But now what I see is far, far worse. Well, there are still issues of needing to get people off the streets and into housing, and there are also very important, urgent safety issues. Last week, I met with a group of families from the Tenderloin. Hearing their stories were hard. Hearing their stories were heartbreaking. Just imagine if you had to walk your kids down the streets of the Tenderloin every single day with people shooting up, selling drugs, and because the sidewalks were so packed with people, you had to walk out onto the street in un un in incoming traffic on a regular basis. Just to avoid the you poop. These brand new playgrounds where you don't okay, do you know what the proposals are? Because this this thing's like almost it's, twenty minutes I long. I don't honestly. She's. She, it seems like she's just saying a lot without saying a whole bunch of anything. And I'm I'm sure it just comes down to more crackdowns, more police presence, and that's what she's talking about. People being uncomfortable, right? It's not. Um, it's, it's, it's people like her, it's activists, it's, it's, you know, people of color. Um, and, uh, those folks are going to feel uncomfortable because what it means is more cops, right? That's really all. That's the, num the typical response to any situation like that, where you've got an area where you want to, you, it's not clean enough or there's just too much crime and blight. Um, so you just throw cops at it and money at it and hope that it goes away well that's going to that's certainly going to piss off a lot of folks these days because they're not interested in co more cops they're interested in solutions well so she says you know it's not going to just be enough to house people of course not but that's not the end of what needs to be done it's not just about the housing so <clears throat> there was a <clears throat> funny enough the entertainment commission was making some progress in the tenderloin in the early 2000s there was a let's say less than a legal venue, but a lot of people looked the other way called the tender loft. Um, I played there a bunch of times. A friend of mine named Noah actually ended up living there for uh, like two years while he was in San Francisco. Um, Hence the loft portion. Yeah. Yeah. It was a live workspace. Downstairs was a live living quarters. Upstairs, upstairs was a big fucking hall. And mm -hmm. um, I went to a lot of great parties there. There was also a guy named Terrence opened something called the blue cube right there in the tenderloin. And, um, then the city just sort of cracked down on entertainment in the tenderloin and uh the blue cube the so the the way it would go is like the blue cube had to shut it too and like the ecosystem there was the ecosystem there was that uh people would go to the tenderloft for the after party and as soon as the tenderloft went away the blue cube that wasn't a cracking spot anymore because the after party spot got fucking busted and right. a few other venues were there and ended up closing down and i think a lot of it has to do with them cracking down on the tender loft yeah i'm getting a little bit of myself back here it's an ecosystem right it's uh it's you know you you take one piece out of it. it's just like any uh living system you take one piece out one layer out one level of the food chain and the whole thing falls apart um that's what you find out with extinction right and it's same thing happens with local businesses the you know the theater company the nonprofit theater company that does shows out of that theater down the street, right? They, they shut down. 
suddenly the people that are going to their shows aren't going to the local coffee house or the local restaurant, you know, afterwards or beforehand to get dinner or whatever, a little, little snack. Um, and then those shops close down, their employees can't go out and shop in other local shops, right. And keep money in the local economy. And it just all, it all falls apart. Um, and eventually it does impact things in a macro sense because small businesses are, you know, a, a in substantial chunk of our employment, uh, in this country, like 80% of employees work for small businesses. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> so let's move on to our next story here. We got a, there may have been a murder at a Tesla factory. Is that apparently? Yes. Uh, there was a suspicious death that is now being classified as a homicide. I don't think it was Elon Musk, but we'll find out more in the story. Well, new at 11 tonight, a homicide at the Tesla factory in Fremont. Police confirmed for us tonight that what they initially called the suspicious death is now officially a homicide. This is what we know. Around 3.30 this afternoon, the Fremont Fire Department responded to a person down in the parking lot. Firefighters tried to revive that person, but that person died. Police have not identified the victim or said how they were killed. Yep. Yes. So definitely a murder. Um, no, still an ongoing investigation. Again, I don't think it was Elon Musk. I think he was out of town when the shit happened. But um, I'm sure we'll find out something, something more about it soon. I didn't know if this was more of a down ballot thing or a leading off, but um, definitely caught, definitely caught my eye. That it's Agreed. winners and losers. It's in the right spot for sure. <laughs> well, the person who's dead definitely is not a, is not winning anything. Um, person who killed them is not winning anything. But we'll find out what it was all about soon enough, or we won't. Typical local news that we might not ever see a follow up on this story again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, not the first shady thing that's happened at the Tesla factory in Fremont lately. So, uh, keep an eye out. It's not that boring. Well, it's usually um, just like mistreatment of workers, corporate malfeasance that we see there. Correct. Not like death of the salesman or death of <laughs> death of a worker. Um, so be careful, mind yourself in the parking lots. Um, who knows? It could have been some drug deal gone bad or, you know, some, something very, very explainable. Something, something non-related to work or whatever. Not really. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, since it happened in the parking lot, I would almost assume it's not work-related or just hopefully not disgruntled employee-related. Um, well, moving right along. Um, I didn't know if we'd have time for it, but I think we have time to squeeze it in. Yeah, because we seem to have time for it every week. Uh, it, Millennium Tower. Update, Tear it down. Bruce or Dave. Tear it it's down. still sinking. <laughs> let's let's find out what happened this week. So tonight, we continue our exclusive reporting on the troubled Millennium Tower in San Francisco. It's hard to believe, but it's happening again. It's tilting even more. Our investigative unit... No, it's not hard to believe. ...the luxury tower tilted another quarter of an inch this month alone. It happened when crews installed a series of what's called test piles, which are actually supposed to help fix this 58-story tower. The new tilting is well, in addition to the quarter inch that tilted last month. So we got to add all this up now. In total, the Millennium Tower is now currently tilting more than two feet outward at the corner that's Mission and Fremont. It's also sinking, this luxury high-rise is, more than two inches at the base since May. Hard to imagine here. Joining us tonight, our investigative reporter, Jackson Vanderbecken, who's been at the forefront of the story for more than two years. Jackson, nice to have you back on the program. Very smart people working on this problem. Do they have any idea now how to fix this? We've been asking this for a long time. No. Well, in a kind of a strange paradox, they're basically <laughs> saying 
that when they install these supporting piles, and these are test piles, the latest two that they put in, and they put in six before, that the idea is that they are making the building better in the long term, but in the short term there's going to be uh, some consequences, namely it's going to sink and tilt more. And that's exactly what's happened. And they say this is expected, but I'm sure the people in the building don't feel any better about the fact that just doing this is causing their pain to get worse over the, over this time frame. Now, when you say it's expected, I mean, that takes a lot of trust, whether it's the people who own units there at Millennium or the city officials. Are we getting close to a point where the city of San Francisco would step in and say, you know what, uh, we don't buy it anymore. We're going to red tag this tower? I don't think so. I think what's going on right now is that the Department of Building Inspection is kind of putting its faith in the city. The city is putting its faith in the consultants and the people that the Millennium Tower Homeowners Association have brought in to do this fix and to monitor the work. And it looks like they basically say, well, we want to know how bad this is going to be now so then we can tell how many actual piles we need to put in. They originally wanted to put in 52, but they're talking about dramatically scaling that back. Okay, so to be clear here, it's essentially one step backwards for two step forward here. Uh, what comes next? Well, they want to put in a third pile, and arguably that would uh, cause another quarter inch of tilt and some measurement of sinking at the base. So, you know, and then at that point, they'll probably do the math and figure out how many uh, piles that they, they can essentially tolerate. Remember, the outer universe of tilting is approximately 40 inches at the corner. That's where they say that the life safety systems of the building, the elevators, and the uh, you know the plumbing may not function so that's kind of the ultimate limit on how long they can endure this continuing tilting remarkable this story continues to unfold okay jackson thank you you can watch Jackson's other recent reports on the Millennium Tower, his exclusive reporting. We've posted all those reports at NBCBayArea.com. We've put a link to make it easy right at the top of our page there in the trending bar. Oh, boy. Well, I think there. I think the city's going to get to that point that you're at already, Producer Dave, and that's red tagging, and that means it's coming down. Right. Uh, and, and the lawsuits begin. What, right, and... Obviously, they're not going to like destroy it or something. What they're going to do, uh, what I would suggest they do is fucking disassemble it. Yeah, as best they can. I mean, the, the problem is you got it's got concrete in there. That's the thing. It's real heavy, right? Like that's what we talked about. It's got steel and concrete mixed together. So there's only so much they're going to be able to do, you know, to to salvage. Um, but yeah, you're right. They, as much as they can. But yeah, the lawsuits are going to start flying. I can't believe that they're. I mean, the tenants. I can't believe tenants aren't aren't already suing. Um, but that's just too funny to say, oh, well, we expected it to sink more. It's like, isn't this the thing that's supposed to fix it? How is, is it like one of those dark, you know, the, the night is darkest before the dawn kind of a thing? Um, I, uh, <laughs> not good. Not good. So there, there might be a reason the tenants aren't suing. There might be some arbitration clauses and shit in their contracts. Could be. For like um, the homeowners association or like from when they purchased the building. I, I, I don't know, but I, I can't imagine there's not something impeding them because it, it just seems to me that, um, by this point, if you paid that much money for one of these places, um, and there's no visible or there's no foreseeable fix, right. Or, or change. I don't see how you're not suing, especially for even just for 
the time already, right? That the trauma and the time and the pain you've already gone through and the money. Um, so, but yeah, you, you may be right. I do, we'll, we'll learn more. Oh, we um, shall. We shall. Uh, shall we get our shit together? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, we, we've already gotten to Millennium Tower. That's usually the, the, <laughs> the throne holder for uh, getting their shit together. But this week, the uh, California Public Utilities, Com- or the, sorry, the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission is under fire for their management of a community benefits fund. Um, so the city auditor has, uh, has a few choice things to say about them, and we're going to listen to it here, and hopefully they'll get their shit together. A damning report out tonight about a program that our investigative unit first reported. It's supposed to encourage bidders on major contracts to give back to the city of San Francisco. But an audit reveals some people haven't honored their side of the bargain. Here's investigative reporter Jackson Vanderbecken. An audit is out tonight about the Social Impact Partnership Program run by San Francisco's Public Utilities Commission. It's supposed to encourage contract consultants to give back to the community, giving them extra credit on their bid based on those promises. The investigative unit has raised questions about the potential for abuse and whether insiders were taking advantage of the city's good intentions. Among the findings of the outside auditing firm was that the program was poorly designed, with significant flaws that posed the risk of abuse, noting that in some cases bidders have won consulting contracts have gone back on their promises, stiffing the community to the tune of more than a half a million dollars. In fact, only about a third of the $22 million pledged over the first decade of the program has actually been spent so far. The SFPUC told us it is taking the audit to heart and is already making changes. It's been a long time coming. City Supervisor Gordon Marr called for the audit amid the city's ongoing corruption scandal. It can deliver millions of dollars in in benefits for our communities, but only if we have a program that's transparent, accountable, and effective. And unfortunately, the program has fallen short of that. Jackson Vanderbecken, NBC, Bay Area News. Uh, Nothing I dislike more than community money either not being spent and sitting in an account somewhere or going to the wrong things or going to, you know, pay for events and food and foie gras. Yeah, I think this is one we're going to hear more about. This isn't one of those stories that's going to go away because it seems like the the investigation just began. Yeah, there's a thread here that's going to unravel some more stuff. It's similar to what happened with the Public Works Department in San Francisco, right? There was the one the one thing, the one like uh, uh, soiree that was paid for by the nonprofit, right? And they, they found that out and then the auditors started looking into it and suddenly they're there were directors resigning because they were skimming off the top or skimming to their organizations. Um, so yeah, San Francisco has got some interesting shit happening under the dome. Um, just like any major city, I, uh, I imagine, but, uh, just seems to happen more and more. So there. Yeah. I mean, between that, this and like the various recall stuff that's going on there, it's interesting time for local San Francisco politics. Very much so. I was looking for a little news on the recalls this week, but didn't see much, uh, uh, you know, of a new form um, from either the DA recall or the SF Board of, uh, of Education recall. However, um, in a down ballot adjacent kind of a way, we have a couple stories here um, of shit that's happening that will have an impact more than likely on local elections. Um, and that school board race. Um, and the first story is from San Francisco Unified and some students getting ups, uh, getting themselves a little upset about, for a very good reason, about some uh, 
some claims that are going unaddressed. Coming here today and seeing how many people care. I'm just so happy to see my community here. One by one, students from different SFUSD high schools gathered at City Hall to share powerful personal accounts of sexual abuse and assault. Some were survivors, others allies, everyone frustrated. How sad! That's this! This is what we have to do to finally bring awareness to the situation! Students claim their experiences and even complaints of assault and abuse from fellow students aren't being heard or acted upon by the district. I think it really shows where the loyalties of SFUSD lies when they're not standing up for us and for all those people um, who really need it. But the school district says it's doing all it can. And we're going to continue to listen to our students. We're going to continue to work hard to make sure that they are feeling heard. We're, and we're going to continue to work alongside our families and our uh, students to make sure that they get what they need. The district says it is committed to taking all available steps to educate, prevent, and address any incidents of sexual harassment that occur in our schools. The district also admitted to challenges, saying some of the reports they get involve incidents off campus, which limits their ability to get involved. Some students say it's too little, too late. To me, it felt like kind of like a smack in the face, if that makes sense. Like this is something we've all actively been speaking out about, they know about. And now that there's a massive protest and there's some attention, they, they now stand in solidarity with us. We get empty promises. Students say they needed to take matters into their own hands to protect one another, going as far as writing the names of alleged abusers on bathroom walls on campus. Today, they took to the streets and blocked a portion of Franklin Street in peaceful protest and vowed to do it again and again again till the district meets their demands in San Francisco Ginger Conejero Saab NBC Bay Area News Looks like the kids are going to be all right I think they're they're just fine actually I work with kids a lot and uh, I'm maybe I'm just rose colored glasses maybe all generations are like this but I really do think that uh, the kids get it so good for them um stand up for your rights don't take don't take the lip service and bullshit for an answer right get actual change um especially with this, this is, uh, it, we've seen it too often, right? We've seen it with private schools down here in San Jose and public schools, just brush, trying to brush the stuff under the rug or minimize it. Um, and shit, you just saw, I mean, it's okay. Now it's maybe not sexual, um, in nature, but, uh, the kid out in Michigan, right? Like they had a meeting with his parents, him and his parents that day about, you know, drawings that he did, uh, of, you know, killing people and shooting them up and just, I, it, and they, <laughs> he walked right back into the student population. So uh, it seems to me that school administrators are very risk averse and very confrontation averse and very conflict averse. So they just try to sweep it under the rug and hope no one notices before the next board meeting. Well, the thing these kids are talking about has been a trope in movies for a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, like the football, the you know, there's even a Ruffy song about the, you know, a football scholarship and how, uh, you know, don't ruin my football scholarship. And, right. you know, there's just always, and it's always like the sports team guys or whatever doing it in the movies, like taking, basically taking advantage of people and sexually assaulting them at parties yes. when two people drink too much or whatever. <clears throat> and it's, it's a trope, but I mean, it comes from somewhere. It's not like, it's not like the, it's not like Hollywood just made that up. And so, <clears throat> yeah, the popular boys or whatever, probably some a number of them have, you know, end up getting away with things because like. Mm -hmm. Social hierarchies in schools are, it's still a social hierarchy. I mean, 
the you know the administrators the teachers everybody's aware of who's popular and who's not and who you know who's got influential parents especially in places right. like san francisco a lot of influential parents around there and, and so you know this is this is nothing new and it's just uh mm-hmm. you know looks like a large group of the kids don't want to put up with it anymore and so that's <clears throat> that's good I don't know what the schools um like someone in chat asked what the school's not doing. Uh we don't know. That was a really short news hit. But I don't know. It, they could do they this, could do more. Yeah, they're it's it's not just one school. It looks like it's uh, multiple schools. It's the, it's the school district, the city school district. Um so uh it seems as though there's a from, from what I can tell from looking at the story a little closer sort of a rampant uh, disregard of complaints or overlooking or not following up on complaints. Um of sexual assault um so uh yeah this is their their response to that um well good luck to the students please keep uh keep fighting and get recognized and maybe those board members who are facing a recall might do you a solid and you know try to get win a few points in the community by um getting some movement on that for you the board is really where you have to go when it comes down to it i've worked inside a school district i've worked inside public institutions the city council, the board, whoever it is, that whoever the elected leaders are, they move the ship. They have the power to move the ship, even if they don't realize they have the power. So you go to them, you make them move, and they will move the ship for you. You're never going to get anywhere going to the superintendent or the principal or you know going through the, the normal motions. You should do that because the administrators will say at the end of the day, oh, well, you didn't go through the normal process and procedure. File the complaint. File the, you know, go through the procedures. And at the same time, go to your board members and talk to them and let them know what happened because they're going to press the issue and they have the ability to press the issue because they are the superintendent's boss. Right. They're in charge. Exactly. So the little pro tip from the uh, the advocacy world, um, which we'll have more of here on Down Ballot. We do that all the time. Speaking hopefully. of advocacy, hopefully. Hopefully in a good way, in a, product, in a productive way. If you um, can get in a word in edgewise, uh, depending on where you are, there might be 30 parents there to scream about critical race theory or the gay agenda or whatever. I'm looking at you, Los Gatos. Right, that's true. Well, you, you don't know how to do it necessarily publicly either, right? Um, these are all public officials. You can find a way to have a, a one-on-one meeting with one of the board members, right? Uh, to talk about it privately, especially if you're not, you're not very comfortable talking about it publicly. I imagine that would be the case um, in, in a, lot of, a lot of situations. Um, go to them you know, individually and anonymously if possible and and give them your story. But um, they need to hear it and they will move on it because that's what prompted them to run for office in the first place. Some, they got their bug up their butt about something. Um, So get their, get a bug up their ass about what you need them to hear. That will prompt them to do something. Hopefully. Hopefully. So, and and then you'll find out if they're worth reelecting it just real quick. Uh, I had mentioned Los Gatos. Uh, Cindy Sheehan found uh, the episode of our podcast and has been leaving uh, comments on our website. <laughs> yes. That's a badge of honor. I am love it. I'm going to wear it right here. That's great. That, no, yeah, please. I, I hope all, I hope Cindy, I hope you and all your friends watch and, and regularly tune in. Um, we, we love to entertain you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's like, Oh, you're getting this particular detail wrong and shit. It's that usual <laughs> fucking, the usual hey. pedantic shit. And it's like, I don't care. She's uh if anybody doesn't know who Cindy Sheehan is, she you just look her up, look up Cindy Sheehan Los Gatos. You'll find a great Mercury News article about uh the group her group and what they're kind of doing just up the up the road a little bit from me here. Um and they've been behaving badly at school board meetings, if you could imagine that. Have you had her on the show before? We should invite her for an interview. I would love to, but she won't come on for an interview. Well, I 
Well, you know, if she's calling us out, we might as well say, well, you can come on the show and correct the record anytime. We'd love to have you. There so would Cindy, be, if you're, if you're watching. That would certainly be a remote interview as I am not interested in giving those people my home address. <laughs> yes, very much so. I, I would absolutely do it in this space here. Yeah, in, um, in this in this very in this very in this very uh, group call room that you're in right now, actually. Correct. Correct. Um, well, Cindy, the offer is out there if you're watching or listening, um, or if any of your minions—I mean, I'm sorry, friends, colleagues, followers—God uh, forbid—are listening. Uh, you're welcome to come on and explain yourself, and I promise we will be we will let you speak and we will let you complete sentences. Um, but uh, we we do reserve the right to call you. Uh, as we see you, we do reserve. The, the, I'm sorry, we do reserve the right to call you names. There you go. That's what I meant. <laughs> so we're going to move uh, on here. It looks like small yes. scale cannabis growers are uh, barely hanging on during the pandemic, or maybe it has nothing to do with the pandemic. Maybe it has something to do with the uh, industrialization of the cannabis industry. Yeah, elections have consequences, right? Um, so Prop 64, right, did not come without consequences. We, we legalized cannabis. Um, recreational use and the, you know the, there was a strong contingent out there that was against it um beyond the conservative you know whatever you want to say cognizanti and it was actually growers and farmers and independent farmers uh, with good reason because they knew that they were going to more than likely get squeezed out and covid's just sort of helping to precipitate it it looks like and it's unfortunate so roll the clip and find out more the emerald cup cannabis fair has returned to santa rosa after a year off for the pandemic KPX 5's John Ramos reports, even though it's meant to celebrate the industry, many growers say they are barely hanging on. In 2016, California voters approved Proposition 64 legalizing recreational cannabis, and those who produced the product thought their ship had come in. But it hasn't quite worked out that way. The Emerald Cup Harvest Ball returned in person to the Sonoma County Fairgrounds, and with it, the crowds of cannabis fans seeking their favorite craft brands of bud. But this year, organizers offered a free space to long-established growers who, in the current market, can't even afford to rent a display space. But in 2021, to see legacy brands that are here today not be able to afford to come to be at Emerald Cup if we didn't give them this free space, I think it's really heartbreaking and just is a, is a real indicator of where we are in the industry as a whole. This was supposed to be a golden age for cannabis, accepted by the public and at long last officially sanctioned by government. But instead, many growers are on the verge of collapse. Does it feel like it was legalized, but not really? It absolutely was not legalized. We are in a regulated environment. We are not in a legal environment. There is nothing free about the cannabis market. Prop 64 limited cultivation to one acre to favor small farmers, but the state pulled a fast one to accommodate big corporate farming interests by allowing an unlimited number of one-acre licenses. Blair Auclair grows cannabis in Mendocino County under the brand Radical Herbs. Because of overproduction by large farms, her product that used to fetch $1,600 a pound now sells for about $300 a pound. But the state's cultivation tax stays the same no matter the price. So now, almost half of her revenue is going to pay taxes. There's county taxes, there's city taxes. It's like every chance somebody gets, and it's not a little bit, it's a lot. Then, and you're standing, 
on TV holding a big jar of weed that you're selling. <laughs> so. It can't even be transported except by a licensed hauler. A lot of people have a voice. I mean, cannabis is still, a lot of people are afraid of cannabis and what it brings to the area. And that may be at the heart of the problem. The cannabis industry is still trying to overcome an image of reefer madness from people who may not want it to prosper anyway. In Santa Rosa, John Ramos, KPIX 5. The state reported over $172 million in excise tax revenue in just the second quarter of 2021. Sales tax revenue from cannabis came in at over $120 million for the same period. Man, so we're looking at like billions. You're talking about billions of dollars uh, in revenue for the state on an annual basis. So... <clears throat> I, they, they were like, they're like, oh, you can do an acre, but then you can get as many acre licenses as you want. I feel like they should fix that. That would probably be a good idea. Yes. Um, and also and they can also build in, uh, from the ground up, they can build more equity into a system like that. Right. Like by, um, you know, reserving spaces and, 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 uh, you know, making distribution, making sure and intentional that distribution, um, is spread among a variety of owners. Right. Um, uh, in a variety of, of uh, sizes, scales of business. Um, I, I also just think that that's reasonable. But I also think that this was like the inevitable consequence of legalizing it. Like the the guy who was yes. like, "Oh, we're in a regulated industry." It's like, "Oh, welcome to being in an industry." Right. Well, welcome to being able to talk on camera, like I said on TV, about you know selling weed and and doing it on camera. It's like, yes, <laughs> something you would have been thrown in in jail for a very long time. Uh, not so long ago, right? Depending on the state, even you still could get thrown into jail for a very long time. So, um, you know, enjoy the fact that you can do this. Kind of like Elizabeth Warren says about the roads, right? Like you corporate barons, like yes, do you like roads to deliver all your shit to us on Amazon? Then you know, pay your taxes. Um, so that's the that's the covenant we live in. You want nice roads, you want good services, you want to be able to sell your uh, your drugs legally. In public, you pay if you you pay the piper. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but it, it it has it has hurt small mom and pop businesses. It had hurt has hurt people of color predominantly because, um, generally speaking, they don't have the resources to file a bunch of uh, applications for one acre lots, right? Things like that. So, the other thing going on here that I think they did what they did was stupid because <clears throat> the legalization was going to drive the prices down. So it seems to me that they've there's just a flat tax based on the, the weight. And I don't think a lot of other industries are taxed in that way. They're like taxed based on the amount of money that the, that is being brought in. And th I think that needs to be adjusted as the price goes down. Because if that, like that lady seemed, she was like, oh, it's just a lot. She she wasn't like, oh, we're not in a free cannabis. She's like, the taxes are a lot for me. Like it's a large percent. It's of the gross, not of the net. So like somebody could actually lose money because of the taxing. Like when other people, like you should be like, you get taxed you to, on your fucking profit. Like you have to be able to do it at, at enough scale. Yeah. But it's, it's taxed. Yeah. It's taxed on the, on the front end. Um, and it, you, there's a, there's usually like, it's a good. 10% state excise tax, local taxes. So like San Jose, for example, has a 10% sales tax. Um, 
And then there's another one I'm forgetting, like some sort of county or other statewide tax. Anyway, so it, it ends up being like 25, 30% tax that you're paying for that, you know, that $60 eighth you're getting, right? Um, $20 of that is taxes. I mean, that's that's hitting the, the consumer and that's like whatever. It seems like they're taxed at the point of sale when they sell it. And again, like I said, it's taxed based on the weight, not yeah. on the value. Yeah. And that seems fucked up. It's yeah. I, I don't know how else they're going to get around it, but they do. You end up paying the, the profit margins aren't as big as you would expect for, especially for the grower, the grower sells to the dispensary, right? And then the dispensary marks, has to mark it up so they make a profit, right? Because they're the one the the, the grower pays the pays the excise tax, um, but the dispensary pays the you know sales tax and the point of sale taxes. So every, uh, everyone's kind of paying, you know, everyone's paying somebody at the end of the day. But the grower, you know, generally will make less and have to pay more in taxes at the end of the day than the dispensary. So they're they're getting sque- they're getting squeezed a lot more. So I think one, I think this kind of situation. I think one of the problems might be because it was done on an initiative that I I think that it might be harder to make adjustments to the to the rules around it. But I don't know. I don't know enough about not, it. But not necessarily. The legislature would have to make some changes. And if there's anything that I don't know if it, if if it you know how hardcore it's written into this the state constitution, but it could it could t- require going back to the voters if there was some sort of substantial change. But I don't. I think that they can make uh, amendments to it. Um, and if the legislature puts something on the ballot, you know, to uh, uh, make a fix, it would more likely pass anyway. Um, so they could, they could make some changes. I would, I would like to see that uh, locally. The city of San Jose is specifically working on ways to make the, the business and the industry more accessible and equitable. So we'll see what, we'll see what comes. Yeah, they should just either lower the per pound amount based on what, like, how much the amount of money you get for a pound fell um, after legalization, or uh, it should just be a percentage of, because it's all, if you're selling to the dispensaries and shit, it's all on the books. Mm. So, you know, yeah, it's all on the books. So I, I don't know, maybe just doing a percentage instead, because it could be a sliding scale too, depending on like the, the, the amount your the amount of product you're moving right um and and how much you produce if you're a small one acre farm right should you have to pay the same rates and the same fees that a a larger farm or operation you know can afford to do it should be doing right so you can you can slide it that way too yeah i think uh or both yeah hey hey and not or and yeah yeah um, yes and and another thing. Ooh, did you like that segue? That, I, that, I do, and I can't believe I can't believe what I'm looking at at the the title of this story. Yeah, I, that's exactly why it's on the docket in the first place. I haven't watched it yet. This is going to be new to me too, so I really want to see what's going on. Can so you let's just roll a clip in the let's, chat if you can see the title? This is a well. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> I have so many questions and I haven't even shall, watched the fuck. Shall I just read the title real quick before yeah. we get Wild Hawk Rescued in Santa Cruz may have been fed meth. That's just what we need now, meth hawks. 
Santa Cruz, the county's animal shelter is helping a red-tailed hawk recover. They say it appears the animal had been drugged and kept as a pet. KPX 5 reporter Devin Feely explains. Employees at the animal shelter say the hawk was Ooh. underweight, malnourished, and lethargic, and are looking into reports that it may have ingested methamphetamine. The bird was um, appeared extremely underweight. Uh, the bird was very um, uh, not all together. The bird definitely seemed out of it. Um, we had several spontaneous statements from nearby campmates um, that the, the bird had ingested methamphetamine. The animal shelter says that several people reported seeing the hawk inside of a tent in San Lorenzo Park. They were able to track it down and rescue it. It's unclear how the owner of the tent got the animal in the first place or just how long it had been there. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife is following up on those questions. The hawk seems to be doing so well that I would, I would be shocked uh, if it had been given drugs, but we treat all our hawks the same. Um, they usually ingest a lot of rat poison, so we're going to treat it as if it has ingested uh, toxins either way. The animal shelter says the hawk was in pretty bad shape and will likely take months to recover. Red-tailed hawks are not on the endangered species list, but are protected under California law. Devin Feely, KPIX5. Aww, that poor hawk. Yeah, meth hawks, uh, they seem like they would be a scary thing, but it's actually just sad. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Not like the murder hornets. That's, that's scary. Um, the poor little guy, he's probably freaked out. Especially if he's on meth, he's probably seeing things and uh, the doctors probably don't even look all that friendly. Yeah, I don't I don't uh, know. The, the meth thing may just be bullshit. You never know, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was, what, what did they say? It was reported by the neighbors of the, you know, the, the folk living in the tent and God knows, you know, God knows, who knows? God only knows. Um, but I'm inclined to, if they say that the bird ingested meth, then who am I to say that, that it didn't? Um, but at least it's in a good place now and hopefully it'll be released into the wild and can do its bird thing again. Um, Definitely. Unless, of course, you know, someone actually was keeping it as a pet and I feel bad that they lost their pet because of this, but you shouldn't let your pet eat meth. Yeah, the, the we're never going to hear about this again, so we're never going to find out yeah. what happened to that poor hawk. Much like everything on Down Ballot, um, what happens on Down Ballot, ladies and gentlemen, stays on Down Ballot. There's only a few like stories that have any staying power. It's the the fucking sinking building, the party mom, and uh, Rich Tran just seems to pop his head back up in our docket every so often. Rich Tran, who is apparently not running for re-election next year, um, and I'll be, I'll be sure to get some video of him saying that um, for our next episode. Maybe we can do a look ahead to the 2022 elections. Um, but uh, yeah, Rich Tran, who's not running for mayor. Well, good. They can make some. Maybe somebody qualified and, um, dare I say, a little more normal could be the Milpitas mayor. Well, one of the two ain't bad, right? Only problem is he might go run for, like, county supervisor. That'll be fun, though. Or assembly or state senate. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Um, but there's already a trio of council members lining up to run uh, for mayor, so it's going to be a doozy. We'll have fun. Well, we're here for it. You want to read us out? Always. Absolutely. Thank you once again, Producer Dave, as always, for running the ones and the twos for us. Thank you to the chat and everyone on Twitch and everyone in the Discord. We love you all dearly. And everyone listening to this on, in the podcast version, please catch it in all the podcast places and give us money. Go to Patreon, go to Twitch, subscribe um, and do all the things. Check out EchoFlexMedia.com for links to all of the things I've just discussed. Um, do your own research and we'll see you next week.
What are we going to roll out to tonight? We got a brand new song from Phil Johnson and it's uh, about Christmas and it's uh, called I'm not really in the Christmas mood this year. <laughs> and it's featuring another local artist, uh, Dave Leon. So uh, wow. I, I'm feeling exactly this vibe. I am happy to go spend some time with my parents, but I'm just, just not feeling it this year. I like the cold though, better than the heat. Anyway, this is yeah, uh, okay. thanks for joining me again, councilman. Um, make sure you stop by this week and pick up, uh, I have a device for you. Um, and yeah, this is Phil Johnson in the roadside attraction. Um, 15 minutes or so we'll uh, start up local love Patty K from the roughies and maybe other members of the roughies will be here and I'll also be joined by chip DeVille. I do believe thanks for listening to down ballot live listeners. Hang tight. The little ones with wholesome hearts look forward in delight to decorating trees in awe of each and every light. But as for me, it's nothing new, a phase I long outgrew. Although this time at once was dear I'm not really in the Christmas mood this year The holiday films that they show Where everyone is gay with a charm that somehow makes it all okay But families are fickle things And in reality A tenderness is lost, it's clear So I'm not really in the Christmas mood this year to snow All children grow old And though the new year begins The sweet little dream ends We can pantomime content Exchanging gift wrapped tokens Of the money that we've spent But repetition makes it hard Not to see right through Our time has come and past its clear